1: Hey, it's a quiet afternoon here. Grace actually has taken the kids out, so the house is peaceful.
0: What uh, What sort of adventure there are they off to? I think they're just over
1: to their grandmother's, like ah. usual. Ah, I do have someone running a uh, leaf blower or a wood chipper or some noise outside, just like you've got mowing
0: man. I've got like a blowing man. So. Mowing man mowed on Sunday or something, or you know, because I think he saw the forecast was calling for uh, rain. Mm, Yeah. So what else? Anything? I know you wanted to uh, extend uh, a thanks to one of our listeners.
1: Yeah, I I got uh, some feedback on Twitter from uh, Andy Wellfley, who uh, apparently is also uh, an Apple fan and at least a handheld Apple gadgets fan. And we were talking about some old devices like the Newtons and Windows CE devices and some of these uh, Palm Pilots and other lost uh hardware from the mists of time and of course i go back to pretty much the beginning of personal computers he's probably a little younger than me but uh, maybe not so much i don't know
0: yeah he's he's near our age
1: thanks andy for uh chatting with us appreciate
0: it yeah i, I uh, took part in a little bit of that chat i was a palm pilot guy but uh andy where's my pencils Andy used to actually be the media guy at Pencils. dot com, so he has he he's been promising to send me a little sampler pack of like some of the products that they have. He must still have a few kicking around. He's not working for them anymore, but uh, he should send you one now too as an apology to me for not sending me mine.
1: <laughs> I, I'd love to. I love pencils. I'm a a total writing implement geek. I was always a uh, like those uh, Rapidograph um, ink pens with uh you know especially the. The really pricey drafting ones with the sapphire tips and all that, the kind that would leak all over your pocket and destroy your shirt.
0: Right on, man. You are Mr. Pocket Protector. Exactly. So what else has been in the news, man? Yesterday was a big day. We had the uh, presidential debate, debate number one in a series of three. Well, actually only two presidential debates and one vice presidential debate, but... uh yeah, I uh,
1: I watched the playback on YouTube today with a feeling of sadness and possibly a, a permanent brain injury. Did you
0: lose some brain convolutions?
1: I think so. I think it's it's just like it may have swelled up so much that I, I don't know if I can think straight anymore.
0: <laughs> and why? What uh, what did you uh, issues did you have with the debate?
1: Oh. Uh, it was it was frustrating to watch. Um, Mitt Romney is really a consummate salesman, and there's no denying that as far as uh, style and confidence and poise and, you know, uh, chuckling, kind of twinkle-eyed good looks in the mode of Reagan, that he really won as far as personality. But also just about every goddamn thing he said was an absolute lie or distortion in some way. So that was very frustrating to watch. And to watch our uh, commander-in-chief really kind of look downcast and hesitant and not go after him. Pretty much on any substantive point whatsoever.
0: Yeah, so. Obama had a lot of errs and a lot of ums and a lot of, <clears throat> or you know, that kind of the kind of speaking stuff we like to not have.
1: Yeah, his eye contact was was kind of poor. I thought it, he did, he didn't seem to feel confident, and that's well, not a, that's he
0: was not looking down thing. and taking notes, which a few debates ago was a great plan. I remember George Bush started getting like really upset, and you could tell that he felt he was losing debate against Gore, maybe. And uh, Gore was a guy who used to take notes during the debate. So in order to occupy Bush's brain and mind, he was just writing things down, allegedly taking notes. I'm sure he was just writing the quick... Doodles. The quick brown <laughs> fox, whatever that thing is. <laughs> the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane, just so he wouldn't look so flustered, you know, and Obama... Yeah,
1: taking a timeout in between getting his talking points out or something.
0: And I think Obama was taking notes just to take notes. Maybe. Uh, It's funny how, you know, when Obama got did speak
1: and and, um, got some coherent words out, and, you know, every time he would start up with a point, you would feel like you could understand the point, and the point was going somewhere. Like, it was A, and then B, and therefore C, and you're nodding along. And then Romney would jump in, and his his mode of presentation was so much better, but... um, the facts were just uh he was he spoke much faster, and uh it was more this rapid fire barrage of uh non facts you know and so you're it really kind of was the bafflem with bullshit approach from Romney yeah wasn 't more confident
0: he definitely wasn 't crisp. crisp, and what did you think of of lair? Oh, he was just horrifying i mean i don 't even know what to say about him it 's like Romney was really controlling the conversation and um, even though, despite the fact that, and, and this has been a big uh, thing in the news, Obama spoke for four minutes longer than Romney four did, but it longer, didn't right. didn't feel it.
1: But no, he got quite a few fewer words out because uh, Romney he spoke got a lot of errs so and ums.
0: That extra four minutes consisted of him clearing his throat and stuff. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, Lehrer just didn't seem to be controlling the debate, and uh, no, they just it was they a both actually
1: kind of walked all, walked all over him, really walked past their uh, a lot of time for everything. So there could have been some more interesting questions that we didn't get to hear.
0: Yeah, I think Obama was just a little too polite, and he just seemed preoccupied, you know? I don't know where his mind was. Maybe he got some weird news, some weird foreign policy news before the debate or something. It was also his wedding anniversary, I think, his 20th? Is that true? It
1: was. So I was kind of wondering, is he... is he mostly thinking about how pissed Michelle is at him for missing their anniversary dinner or something like that?
0: Yeah, I think what it comes him. down to, and, and we know for a fact that Romney rehearsed quite a bit, and I mean, the president has presidential things to do, and he probably didn't rehearse, but I've already heard dem- the Democratic camp saying they're going to prepare a little more for the oh, next he, one. Oh,
1: he, pre- he prepared it for at least a few days. I think he was holed up at a, at a suite in, in somewhere, I think in Las Vegas, actually, doing rehearsal. And well, whatnot. apparently
0: that wasn't enough, because he wasn't crisp at all you know his responses need to be staccato and fast you know and i
1: i think everyone just wanted to see him rebut some of these non-facts you know and even uh, i shouldn't say that non-facts because i mean let's uh, not sugarcoat it romney was lying on a lot of things yeah. And the, the other thing he he did was he kind of um he was stepping away from the actual platform to make himself look softer and more moderate. And everything was like, oh, you know, our, our uh, platforms really aren't that far apart. Our plans really aren't that far apart. And it's, Yeah, I it's love Obamacare. Bizarre.
0: We're just gonna get rid of the stuff you know we don't like, but you know everything else about it we do like. The only thing, Ron, I made this joke I think to you and some other people in email. But the only thing Romney didn't agree to yesterday was to have sex with a black man. I mean, everything else was <laughs> like you know, oh, we love. Uh, I'm, I'm a centrist now. It's like he threw the radical right Tea Party stuff under the bus, and I would have been curious to know what. Uh, limbaugh was saying today uh if he was like oh we won and i don't care how we had to win to win or if he was saying he threw all his right-wing ideals under the bus to come across as a moderate we hate him we're gonna vote for him but we hate him you know Uh, i i should look into
1: that a little more because i haven't um i didn't really look at a lot of uh right-wing uh Response: I saw. I looked at some left-wing responses, and I have to say, I I mostly agree with what I was what I was reading. A response from the left, but I didn't. It's funny how I expected to come on Facebook and find all my right-wing friends just crowing about how Romney won. But uh, last I heard, um, even though you know, even though the people on the left agreed that Romney won, and they're kind of basically saying he won on style and whatnot. Uh the polls are still showing Obama getting a boost from this debate. And that that is interesting. So it might be kind of a hollow victory.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if that trend can be changed at this point. But you know, even though Romney won, the the Obama performance wasn't catastrophic. It wasn't crisp. It wasn't great. It could have been better. But not catastrophic. It's, it's
1: probably ultimately going to be a wash. As far as I don't think it's going to change. It's not going to violently swing any poll numbers. Let's well, yeah. We agree and on and that. as I
0: said, yeah. the the debate that matters is going to be the final debate because that's going to be the one two weeks before the election, and that's what people are going to remember. I think Biden should do better than uh, than uh, Paul Ryan. Biden's a pro. He's been at it twice as long as anybody else. You know, in the mm-hmm. race. Right. Right well we'll have to see how it plays out in the next week to see if there's any bumps in the polls, you know, and like I said, hopefully Romney will uh entertain us with a few more gaffes and <laughs> you know this has been a this has been an interesting election time but uh, so you want to jump into a tune let's play a tune all right here we're coming at you with a little jazz let's a little live jazz let's check it out excellent. Yeah, so that was a uh, that was a track by a friend of mine named Mike Holstein, really talented bass player. He wrote that song. That's a track called "The Show," and that was Very performed cool. uh, performed by a band he was in, which at the time was called Cosmic Ray Lyota, but then I think they changed their <laughs> name to Spork. <laughs> (laughs) Which is a very (laughs) clever and inventive name Not that either name is great But uh, in fact I linked to the CD that that can be found on Spork Volume 1 live at the whatever club in Asheville, North Carolina Cool (laughs) Yeah, that was a a tune that was originally nine minutes long And that's not particularly radio friendly even for us So I uh, You
1: did a little snip snip here and there
0: I edited it down Uh, I circumcised it I uh, I circumcised it from nine inches to about four and a half actually Actually, and uh, I made it Excellent. a little more radio friendly. I took out a lot of the soloing. I left the the first trumpet solo in, which was really strong, and then I I left Mike's um, bass solo in, and then uh, and then we were done.
1: Cool. Well, I've been listening to more live jazz too. Among these uh, CDs that I picked up, kind of almost in bulk because they were it's like three bucks each at uh, my local used music store. Uh, I got a bunch of old live jazz, including like uh, some Oscar Peterson and stuff like that.
0: Awesome. So I had an idea to lighten it up a little for uh, today's show to, uh, to uh, talk about things that we would like to see made, something that maybe a sequel that would have been cool or a book. It can be any form of media um, mine happen to all be television and movies. but and, and you know what? A lot of these, I realize, are things that I've said on the show before. So some of these might yeah. not come as a surprise to some of our listeners. But um, I'm sure we'll be uh, hardcore politics after the final debate. And then there's two weeks to go. And uh, Well, you know, I'm happy to lighten things up a little bit because, yeah, the, the
1: all the politics are grinding my brain down into a nervous, uh, unhappy pace, I think.
0: So. Yeah. Well, it would be one thing if there was some substance to what was actually going on. But there's not. And it's just theater. And and it just bothers me. So, so yeah. You so have all, I was, You have
1: all TV shows or, or No, movies? I have,
0: uh, yeah. It's either TV or movies, my media okay. stuff. I, I actually, you know, have some book ideas. Maybe I can throw them out. I'll see how, how the time is. But um, You want to just go back and forth? Yeah, I'll start. And this is one that, uh, in no particular order, again, uh, this isn't like a countdown or a count up. But this is one that I've said on the show before, maybe twice. I always wanted to see a sequel to My Cousin Vinny. Because uh, hmm. I thought that was a pretty funny comedy, and I think his character is fun, and maybe another courtroom drama with him actually in Brooklyn or wherever he's from, New York City area, uh, m- might Joe be kind Pesci of fun. You're yeah, talking that was about? Pesci. Yeah, Pesci playing. I, you know, Vinnie. I've seen
1: clips from the movie. I don't think I've ever seen it, but it looked really funny.
0: It's hysterical. It really is. It's a really, really funny movie, and he was really funny in it, and. Uh, He affects
1: a really strong Brooklyn accent and has, like, there's some great scenes where he's talking to the judge and trying to get his point across, and the accent is getting in the way.
0: Yeah, well, he's talking about the two uh, people who were allegedly involved in the shooting, and, uh, you know, you and I would say youths. But uh, (laughs) he goes, the two youths, Your Honor, and the judge is played by Herman Munster, uh, Fred Gwynn, Uh and he goes, the what? The two youths, Your Honor, he goes, Utes, what Utes. exactly is a ute? <laughs> you know, so there is uh, some funny scenes like that. And Marissa Tomei, who played opposite him in that film, actually won an Academy Award for her performance in a comedy. That's how good her performance was, which is really rare to get Academy yeah, Awards out of yeah. comedies. So uh, I think that would be a really fun film with both of them together. And Fred Gwynn's gone, so he won't be able to be in it. But and he's great, by the way. I love Fred Gwynn. Anything mm. he's in, yeah. he's you know, the Munsters was kind of. but you know he was in so many things playing so many interesting characters and uh, just a big Fred Gwynn fan shout out to Fred Gwynn well I do like Joe Pesci too so I'd I'd see that I
1: should uh, I should uh, rent that rent it it immediately
0: yeah if not sooner
1: okay I I would would pay good money in fact more than good money for a decent Star Wars prequel trilogy
0: (laughs) pre-episode one two and three
1: yeah, I know. Maybe Do you mean to sounds... replace
0: them, or or even before them?
1: I no, no, just replace them in my mind. I I know, you know, I can't make um, Phantom Menace and the other two not exist. But good lord, they are some sh- some uh, some crappy films, and you know. I just would like to pretend they didn't exist, and that George Lucas maybe he was been in a coma for you know twenty, thirty years, and he wakes up and realizes that he really needs to get back to Star Wars and makes three good movies that don't feature. A minor villain character. Well, I would even backstory. like to
0: see the uh, seven, eight, nine episodes, the ones which he originally talked about, the third trilogy, if you will. But... Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, you're 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 jumping a little ahead of me because that was going to be my next one is uh, the Star Wars sequel trilogy, which uh, oh, I'm again, sorry. Was, well, that's all right, but it was part of the original vision too, and you can imagine that that story arc. Could have been really fine film. And was know? that going to be
0: your number two or just part of the one you were just doing? Uh, that was going to be number two, but oh, I, I can okay. make it up here. Uh, so, yeah. So my next one is actually Star Trek related. There was a Star Trek The Next Generation episode called First Contact. Oh, yeah. And that the was idea... one of the better movies. Well, n- 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 no, that wasn't the movie. Uh, this was an episode, and uh, it, I think it was called First Contact. I may be wrong. Maybe I should look that up. But it was uh, an episode where uh, they send a team of people to the planet to to, to kind of integrate into society before they make first contact with mm-hmm. that group of aliens and invite them to be in the Federation. Except in this episode, everything went awry, and, you know, Riker got into an accident, so, you know, people rushed him to the hospital. He was posing as an alien. He was surgically altered to look like the alien forehead appliance, blah, blah, blah. And then they discovered his anatomy was different, and they didn't have any idea how that could be possible. And, And then it led to a whole set of complications for Picard having to reveal themselves a little sooner than they wanted, and... Yeah, so I would just love to see a spinoff, and I may be wrong about that title. I seem to remember its first contact. Maybe uh, It could be. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll look it up while you're talking about your next one. But I would like to see a spinoff TV series that's a Star Trek series just based on that premise. All of the planets that they're thinking about doing first contact with and all of the the situations and the intricacies and developments of what comes right before first contact and then ultimately the the actual interactions and the dynamics you'd, of the first contact
1: you'd like to see like a weekly show where you follow the adventures of a team that specializes in first contact experiences and,
0: but, right and uh, you would think well, that, that could team be great. yeah you would think that team would have been a particular team and Riker wouldn't have been on it but uh, you know they, I mean, they had to make an episode with the normal
1: <laughs> it has to feature the stars right? yeah the stars
0: of that show so uh, but yeah I, I thought even when that show came out that that would have been an awesome uh, idea for a spinoff show, and uh, that's one I'd like to see.
1: Yeah, very cool. I mean, uh, I think there's there's still potential in the Star Trek universe. I'm not really happy with the the reboot movie. Well, and that, that was an abortion, second... as
0: I described it in our review of it, which was one of our last yeah. shows before John and I kind of went dark for a while.
1: Yeah, but it's supposedly there's a second reboot movie to be released soon, and I'm not... I don't know. I'm not so pleased about that. But my my second one is also from a series and it's um a couple of years back there was uh two seasons of a of a Stargate show called Stargate Universe. And um it had it it um had many things there were many things about the show that I really liked. Uh there was some great acting in it, it was kind of gritty and dark. Um And I really enjoyed it. It Occasionally, uh, in season two, I felt like it got too dark, like they were just killing off too many characters, and it just seemed like they had set the tone wrong and it was too grim to watch. But they sort of ended the show after two seasons, and the way they ended it, um, they basically all are in suspended animation, and so there's a potential to bring it back. And here's the thing about Stargate there have been several Stargate shows, including, if you count the animated one, I think four you know, 10 seasons of Stargate SG-1, like five seasons of Atlantis and two seasons of universe. But that the idea behind Stargate, which is just this, uh, you know, you can have these portals that you open up to, uh, alien planets or whatnot is so generic that it seems like you really ought to be able to reboot and spin off ideas from that concept. Into well, that's the, well, almost into like doctor future. who,
0: you know, the TARDIS gives him the ability to do the exactly. same thing. And I've actually exactly. been getting into doctor who lately, the new ones, but, uh, you know, I just looked it up. Yeah, that was, uh, episode was called First Contact. First aired it February was. 16th, 1991. Season 4, okay. episode uh, 15.
1: All right. I'll have to look it up. I may not be familiar with it. But um, but I think that would be cool to see a Stargate, uh, either a continuation of universe, although it's been a couple years now, so you can't pick it up exactly where things left off. But, you know, you have to pick up the concept, like you thought, the ship and the characters, and then there's a bunch of new information they have to process. They're in the midst of an interstellar war or something, you know. Yeah. Some uh, you gotta you gotta immediately make it an interesting story. But I'd like to I'd like to see another uh, Another Stargate franchise of some kind
0: ongoing right so. right well you know i 'd like to see more Star Trek and more Battlestar Galactica too, so uh, my next one, any science fiction is good and it 's so rare today, um, good stuff anyway, so my number three is a short film. I would like to see a short film. That shows us the talk that Cameron had with his dad after Ferris Bueller ended and after the Ferrari crashed and when the dad finally got home. (laughs) I would like to see a short (laughs) film of that conversation.
1: That could be hilarious. Yeah, someone should make it even – you can't – the two actors – The original actors are are kind of too old to play their original roles. but Eh, a little makeup. That guy
0: looks pretty young, that actor who plays uh, Cameron. I think with a little makeup, you could make him look pretty young. But who cares? We can suspend disbelief Disbelief. for that scene. I'm sure the father, he was in, you know, 40 or whatever. I'm sure you can make him look about 40 again with a little makeup and a little... uh, You know, a little hair dye. But yeah, I think that would be a fun film just to witness that conversation. I mean, and it could be just a five or 10 minute film. I just want to see that conversation, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's funny.
0: Well, I I would like to uh, it's been
1: now roughly 10 years since um, since the, the Firefly universe came to an end. And uh, I would like to see, since I'm a fan of Joss Whedon, he's obviously getting a lot of good work with uh, Avengers and whatnot. He's a very successful guy. It just seems like he should have the clout to uh, either continue uh, with a new project set in the Firefly universe or hand it off, hand the property off to someone who would bring back... Uh, some of those uh, characters maybe not you know not all of them they may not all be interested and whatnot but there are at least a core handful of them who have never lost uh, interest in in doing a firefly show and i think uh, you could easily bring back a a new firefly show set a decade after or longer after the uh, original and you could build it up to be a deep space nine like kind of political intrigue thing subversive they're in the midst of a revolution whatnot you know
0: as long as it has that really hot Brazilian actress in it, I don't care when or where it is. <laughs> the The later the, the lady who later appeared on the V reboot, which I thought oh, was decent, yeah. but yeah. they ended. Yeah. Um, so my uh, number four. Is back to Star Trek again, and this could be a TV show or a movie, but there was an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation called Tapestry where Picard got to relive his life um, based – Q gave him the opportunity to kind of go back in time and redo oh, yeah. something, which involved not getting in a fight as a Starfleet this is, cadet this with, is with the This is when Nausikans.
1: he gets a – how he got his artificial heart? Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, okay. the, he was
0: stabbed, and, which ultimately led to him getting the artificial heart. But P- Q gave him the opportunity to go back and not get in that fight because Picard mm-hmm. saw that— you know, I was a bit of an unruly, troublemaking child, and maybe I would be better if I had not been that person. But of course, as Picard said, uh, that un- un- pulling on that thread unwound the tapestry of his life. But w- the people right. that we met in that episode were the three friends of his that were at the academy with him, either yeah, roommates yeah. or just his good buds, his BFFs. I would like to see um, those characters uh to see what they're doing now if you will now being like the Star Trek the next generation universe you know when Picard was still the captain you know so basically after you know, after the academy
1: or still in the academy
0: no after the academy uh, in other words I would like to have seen what they were doing when Picard twenty 30 years later was the captain of the enterprise so what happened oh, to I them see. what how did yeah, their yeah. careers unfold and uh, develop um yeah so what do you got Oh, I just have
1: there there are so much uh interesting science fiction and fantasy and uh and uh sort of urban fantasy, urban horror out that I've been reading at lately that there there's a lot of opportunity for for films. But what I'd like to see is not these films rendered as these these big budget, you know, effects spectaculars. I'd like to see a lot of small budget films, honestly. You know, like uh, Jim Butcher has a series called The Dresden File about a wizard named Harry Dresden in modern day contemporary Chicago is sort of a dark urban fantasy, except that magic works and there are werewolves and things like that. And that could be a great lower budget film, I think, you know. I don't mind cheesy effects.
0: Yeah, but digital effects are cheap enough now where even low-budget films can afford a few of them, you know? You can render yes, them on yeah. your own computer for crying out loud, you know?
1: Right, right. You can, and people are doing that, and that's that's great. But i just, I just like to see even more of it. You know, there are still hundreds of Philip K. Dick short stories and whatnot that haven't been adapted into films and we don't need arnold schwarzenegger or you know whoever in in big budget filled adaptations in fact the, the bigger the budget for some of them it seems like the worst they come out because you lose that science fictiony aspect you lose realism you lose any kind of any kind of sense of uh, of a real world but right. uh, I'd like to see uh, a novel called Ubik adapted to, adapted to film, and that's been kicking around. And there's so much potential there, you know, uh, there's just and not just Phil Dick, but, you know, there's lots of good stuff coming out there. Uh, Ian M. Banks is writing novel after novel in the culture universe that really deserves, you know, to to have a film treatment that might be difficult to do in a small budget film. But, you know something can be adapted out of this there's there's a lot of good material being written
0: definitely um so my last one is one that you will remember that I mentioned probably 2 months ago And, uh, that would be just a really good movie reboot of the $6 million man. You know, we kind of talked about who would play Steve Austin or whatever, but I think if that were done, if that were done well and that were done, right, that would be something I would be willing to see, or even on TV, you know, maybe do a movie and then, uh, and then reboot the TV show or something. But, uh, yeah. There's
1: other things. I mean, we, we were talking, I think, at one point about other old shows that might be fun to see rebooted. I, it could be time for a Flash Gordon reboot. It could be time for a Buck Rogers reboot. You well, know, and I, I do know
0: that. they're actively developing something called Space 2099, which would be a Space 1999 reboot. Uh, it may be for cinema, but it may be for television, too. And I, I, but I do know there are people that are actually working on that. But uh, Interesting. So you want to jump into another tune? Let's play another tune. All right, let's check it out.
2: Listen, big boy, now that I got you made, goodness, but I'm afraid that something's going. Oh, take care yourself. You belong to
0: me. So that was a real fun one. That was uh, that was a classic. An oldie but yeah. a goodie, as they say. That was uh, Button Up Your Overcoat as performed by a new Bloody Veg artist. Uh, that was Miss Rose and her Rhythm Percolators. They do all that Roaring Twenties kind of music, which I, oh, by the way, happen to love. That song was originally written by De Silva Brown and Henderson. I'm sure they're long gone, but we needed to give a, to give them a, a little out. a little shout out. Well, why not, right? I mean, it's that they, part they deserve
1: of it. is that part of the Tin Pan Alley thing, or is that I may have my eras mixed up? I don't know. It's,
0: I don't know. I mean, but I, I I am a fan of that era of music, the ragtime, roaring twenties, honky tonk kind of stuff. You know. And speaking of honky tonk, they typically call that piano honky-tonk piano because the unisons are slightly out of tune with each other, so it gives it that bar room... Um, yeah. honky-tonk feel, and they used a piano that was slightly, the unisons were slightly detuned mm-hmm. to give it that really cool honky-tonk feel. And Ours is slightly out of tune, by the way, the one in our family room. Then so. it's perfect. Let's record it. Yeah. I actually reached yeah. out to them and they're going to send me some uh, some additional CDs too. I talked to Miss Rose herself in email. Very cool. Yeah, they're great and I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to playing more of their stuff. There's a TV show on HBO right now called Boardwalk uh, Empire, which is about... Uh, the show begins the day Prohibition goes into effect, and it's all about the organized crime, uh, illegal liquor kind of thing. And it's right now they're in 1922. So whenever they go out to a club, mm. this music is always being played in the background. And I love saddle shoes nice. that the men wear. I love the suits that they wear. The clothing is cool. That flapper look is just, I think it's super sexy. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I love
1: the, the bobs and the, sh- and the flapper look. Oh, Very it's, cool. it's just,
0: I would love to go back in time and spend some time in that era. You know, You know, and uh, the dawn of radio, all kinds of neat stuff was happening then, but great stuff all the way around. So you had uh, something you wanted to talk about a little bit, a little talk you went to yesterday that didn't involve anybody running for president. Uh,
1: No, Uh, you know, uh, we we spent a lot of time talking about um, national politics and all that. But um, honestly, there's only so much influence you or, or I can have over these sort of big national debates. But in many ways, it's more important that we be involved in local politics at the state and local level. And my wife is uh, a community organizer, to use the term that became really pejorative. And so she's been following this guy who uh, runs a nonprofit called Strong Towns. And uh, we managed to get him here uh, last night. He gave a little talk that we just sort of advertised locally. Uh, we held it at a place called the Castle Museum, which is a, a post office building built literally like a castle, and which of course was slated to be torn down, but has been preserved and turned into a museum. It's a beautiful building, but uh, his thing is basically he, he's a, a civil engineer and a, a certified like a city planner. I don't know if I have the exact terminology right. But uh, he uh, he has this nonprofit that uh, tries to work, work with towns and figure out how they can basically figure out where they're going with their growth. Because so many towns, uh, so many cities are really broken. And uh, he gave us a talk, a presentation, and I videotaped it and all. will I'll maybe get a link to that, although uh, it's not such a great recording because I didn't have a real good uh, place to set up the camera and whatnot. But um, his thing basically is, uh, is is sprawl and infrastructure and uh, what he calls like the Ponzi scheme of growth, where cities try to encourage growth by making these huge investments that usually wind up developing roads and, and strip mall areas that are outside of the traditional city center. Right. And they the, the problem is they uh, will bring around some investment, maybe an industrial park or whatnot. The city pays for the sewer and roads and everything. And it gives their free when,
0: taxes for 20 years.
1: Something like that, yeah. And when you do the math and you work out how this actually benefits the city, well, it turns out that it doesn't. Like for they a get a few a tax, meager jobs, <laughs> they get a few jobs, and then about the time that the roadway requires major overhaul, like in twenty years, or the sewer system has to be replaced or whatnot, suddenly nothing's paid for, and, and these these uh, out uh, area these areas outside the city towards the burbs or the exurbs or whatnot. They become a huge liability. So he talked about that and do, like calculating the actual cost to a city of investing in these huge sprawl projects, and, and how they're really not managing their growth well. And that this is a, a so many cities are really insolvent on on paper. At least they may not have realized it, but when they look at all their liabilities they're totally insolvent.
0: Well, and then you give them leverage, you invite them in, you give them free taxes for 10 years, and then when that 10 years is up, they threaten to leave unless you do it again. And yeah, then they you, hold this stuff you've over your head. You've locked yourself
1: into an abusive relationship. Exactly. you basically ho- hoard yourself out and then you're in part of an abusive relationship. Well, that And sounds he interesting. talked about it, it was a great talk. It was very interesting. He talked about uh, our own town. He he'd driven around Saginaw and took some pictures that he then worked into his talk. One of the I'll just will mention one particular thing. Uh, Something called a strode. Have you ever heard of a strode? I have not. A strode is his name. I don't know if it's original to him, but uh, something he calls sort of a bastardized cross between a street and a road. Yeah, it's kind of what I thought it might be. Yeah, so these things have different requirements. Like a street is somewhere that you'd actually want to go. And either live on or have businesses on. Preferably one that you can walk along and you know go do your errands there, or maybe go bar hopping or go hang out in you know, like a destination place. That's a traditional street. Whereas a road, some place that goes somewhere, like you, the the point of it is just to get there as quickly as possible. But what you have now are cities, and this has been going on for a long time, actually putting all this money into Strodes, which are these massive, you know, five, seven lane with turn lanes and whatnot, uh, roads that are designed to get places as fast as possible. But they're also supposed to be serving businesses and they're laden with strip malls and whatnot, but no place along there is any place that you'd actually really want to spend time. You can't walk, you can't bike on it. And so they're really this single use, and they're extremely expensive to maintain. And the the businesses along these huge stroads uh, are not producing enough revenue to to make this thing really self sustaining. So it turns out to just be a, another a drain on the city's finances over time.
0: Well, everything we do like that is wrong. You know, everything we've ever been told <laughs> is right is wrong, and <laughs> these things need to change. I know you uh, you were given some books that you wanted to give away.
1: Yeah, he uh, he shipped. They didn't arrive in time for the talk, but oh. <laughs> they arrived at our house uh, uh, today instead, and he's already gone. So he said, you know, figure out something t- uh, to do with these books. So I have 40, and he said, uh, give away five. Uh, my, I, I give away five to people on this podcast, and Grace and I agreed to do that. So this is called uh, Thoughts on Building Strong Towns. It's a book by Charles L. Marone, Jr., and I have five copies, and I will give them away to people who send their mailing addresses to the feedback address.
0: Feedback at bloody Veg. The first five people who send their mailing addresses get a book and uh, a good book. Feedback
1: at, at bloodyveg dot com. Yeah, it's a it's. I should set expectations. It's not a completely uh, coherent book. It's a series of essays, just basically put in book form. So it's it's like a. a a bunch of blog essays put into a book form but the topics if you have any interest in urban planning and what's happening economically to cities like saginaw or cities like your town you, know, you should you really should read it
0: so. well i guess that's a show man what do you think i think that's a show all right this is rich wilgus in scenic actually technically it's new york mills new york and i'm paul potts in saginaw michigan You've been listening to Bloodthirsty Vegetarians. Check us out on the web, www.bloodyveg.com.
1: Send us feedback, and like I said, get a free book if you send your mailing address to uh, feedback at bloodyveg.com.
0: And leave us some voicemail, 206-376-0397. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.